This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. And good morning. So uh, I'm going to share a story with you to open us up. A few weeks back, I was blessed to uh, take a kayaking trip with Clint, Chris, Heston, Dalton, and Luke. And the particular stretch of water that we uh, had floated had some rapids. And if you don't know, I don't swim. Uh, Knowing this, Clint provided me one of his more expensive kayaks. It's the kind where if you flip it over, and when I would flip it over, uh, it doesn't fill with water, so it's easier to turn back over. And uh, he also provided me with a life vest. Now, when you're a grown man with your friends uh, and younger men than you, getting this kind of special uh, treatment can be a little embarrassing, perhaps. I could have said, I don't want that life vest uh, because I don't intend to flip. But I gave control to Clint and his experience. Now, we eventually came up some of the rapids that were on this stream. uh, And Clint made sure that we all stopped and we were going to go one at a time. Uh, because if anybody had an accident, we wanted to see it and be able to go help and not make it worse. Well, Dalton went first, and he flipped. And uh, I was already eagerly moving ahead. And when uh, Clint saw that Dalton had flipped, he's like frantically waving, stop. Well, it's too late. You know, I'd already committed. I'm floating right toward Dalton. And the only thing I could do at that point was try to squash him rather than impale him. Uh, I didn't hit Dalton, but I did crash and flip in the exact same spot as him. Uh, And all thanks to that moment where I decided that I could control that kayak well enough that surely I could, you know, do what Dalton hadn't been able to do, right? Uh, Well, Dalton was, uh, I did crash. I went underwater with my life vest and all. The water flow was very strong and Dalton was there and he was yanking me up immediately. And my first impulse was, get off me, I don't need to be yanked out of the water. Um, but the reality was without his help, I probably would have stayed under the water because it was very strong. Um, I could have swatted his hands away, right? But uh, I might have stayed under there. Maybe could have drowned. Uh, you never know. Well, finally, a little bit later on, we come to a particular uh, fork in the river. There were three ways you could go. I was in front and uh, I looked and we all looked. And we basically said they all look the same. Let's just all take whatever we want. So I took this middle one. And there was a a strong undercurrent. And I managed to go fast right into an uprooted tree and its roots. And I got pinned there. And then all the water was pulling me and the canoe and everything underneath this thing. We nearly lost one of the good ones paddles there. But, you know, I'm at least happy to say I kept hold of that. Well, anyway, Clint thought I was just beached on rocks again. So he's like, "Eh, this is Brian up on the shore you know doesn't no kayaks stay in the water so uh, he went his way and anyway I managed to get myself out and uh, as soon as I did though here comes uh, Heston and he did the exact same thing so we struggled to get Heston out and we did and just as we got Heston out here comes Luke and Luke does the same thing except uh, Luke managed to get his foot tangled Uh, now thankfully I was able to redeem myself a little bit at this point. I released his flip-flop and, you know, he was saved. Um, but we didn't anticipate or see that coming. And, I, and if you think you see a pattern of me flipping over here, think again. I had it all under control this whole time, I assure you. Um, 
we eventually got to some calmer waters and we came across a tree that was hanging out and there was a rope and we decided it was a very deep portion of that that water it was at least 12 feet i don't know that's deep for me uh, we decided we we're going to stop and jump off of it now as a disclaimer i was not planning to participate here because even though I knew my life vest would keep me afloat. I also knew I'd bob like a cork in the water because I can't, you know, move. And uh, I was just watching, right? But then something happened. Chris finally decided that us older men weren't going to let all the younger men have all the adventure because at this point we were just heckling, you know, Heston and Dalton and telling them, what's the matter? You can't climb the slick tree. Uh, so Chris gets up there. He gets on that rope not once but twice. And he swings back and forth, you know, his feet hit the water. It looks like he's just, you know, cooling his toes off. Made it look easy. So easy, in fact, that Clint was eventually persuaded to try it. Uh, Clint swung out, his legs hit the water like Chris, and then his face. It was great. <laughs> um, and then the final straw came, however. I don't know, I think it might have been Dalton who started yelling out that the Navy had beaten the Air Force because Chris is prior Navy, of course, and that will not stand. So I was getting on that rope. Expectations were high, and against my better judgment, I swung out just as I heard Clint say, I just know Brian's going to show us how it's done. Uh, and let me say I did just that. I took the lesson Clint gave, and I gave the best demonstration of a face plant you have ever seen. It was so bad that uh, I think people hesitated to laugh at first because they were so embarrassed for me. You know those kind of moments? Uh, Navy won that round. And uh, I tell this story uh, because it's a good illustration for my topic today, which is control. Who is in control of your life? Uh, what happens when we submit to the control of someone else or we don't? Uh, more importantly, is God in control or are we? So I've got a few things I want to look at in this topic. And first of all, let's just say that the Bible's pretty clear. We are to let go of control of our life. Luke 9, 23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Galatians 5, 24. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Seating control of your life is tough. But thankfully, we don't have to go at it alone. Christ said he'd be with us every step of the way in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. And it's a good thing that Jesus is with us because in John 10, 10, it says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We sometimes have to let go of our lives to preserve them. One more story. And you know, sometimes the stories are what take me all the time, so I hope that doesn't happen again. I'm driving in England, and it's a very narrow road, almost as narrow as this highway here, right? And I'm driving along, and it's raining, I definitely wasn't going 90, it was 30 or 40, and uh, the road is slick, cars are suddenly stopped, and I hit the brake, the car just keeps going. I turn the steering wheel all the way, the car still keeps going, now I'm in trouble, right? And I give up, and I figure I'm about to rear end the back of these cars, I let off the brake, the steering wheel's still turning. Right at the last second. Let not that weight allowed me to veer over into the ditch. The hatchback that I was driving would have crumpled up worse than a tuna can, so it's good that I let control let go of that brake. It was letting control uh, letting go of the control of the car at that moment that saved my life. And I can tell you going 90 miles an hour or whatever on a wet road is not smart. 
Now, let's examine what letting go in the life of a Christian looks like. It requires, first of all, obedience. In 1 Samuel 15, verses 1 through 29, God, through the prophet Samuel, told Saul that he was to utterly destroy the Amalekites for the death that they brought to the children of Israel as they left Egypt. He was told specifically to kill man, woman, and child. Moreover, he was instructed not to take spoils and to also destroy their livestock. Now, you know, some people would get hung up over killing an infant, but Saul got hung up over the spoils, the riches that he could plunder. So he kept the king of the Amalekites, Agag, and he took the best of the riches they had like the livestock. So he disobeyed. Now I'm sure he had his reasons, but God also had his reasons. God knew that the only way to utterly wipe out the evil represented by the Amalekites and perpetuated by them was to remove all trace of it. This would be called genocide today. And I'm sure genocide was just as awful in appearance back then as it would be today. And for that reason, I believe God may have directed the destruction of the spoils of war as well. Scripture didn't say that. This is my opinion. After all, if God allowed Saul to take everything of value, would it not detract from the righteous motive God had, don't you think? After all, imagine what people would say when they heard what the Israelites did, if they knew that Saul had taken gold and livestock, they'd just see him as another looter. I imagine they'd accuse him of killing the Amalekites just so he could take everything of value they possessed. So perhaps this was why God directed him to destroy it. Destroy it so the world was forced to reckon with the fact that this was not done for unrighteous means. No, it was done because a just God was going to repay a terrible wrong. But as soon as Saul disobeyed, he undermined God, didn't he? Saul took away the perceived righteousness of God and substituted it with the petty vengeance and greed of man. And to this day, lost men of the world will point to this event and they will say that our God is evil because he directed a genocide. It makes you wonder, would the view be any different if Saul had actually obeyed? What if the result of God's wisdom had been borne out through all of history for us to see today? Well, we'll never know what blessings might have occurred and what good might have emanated down through the ages because Saul took control instead of giving control to God. What's very interesting to me, though, is what Saul said when he was confronted with disobeying God. Listen closely to this. <clears throat> Look at verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. The first words out of Saul's mouth were, I obeyed. You understand, he knew full well he had not obeyed. Was he only trying to lie to God and Samuel, or do you think he was also trying to lie to himself? Verse 14, And Samuel said, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Don't these words just drip with sarcasm? Sarcasm that is aroused by the ludicrous words Saul was saying. Obey? Really, Saul? If you obey, then why do even the animals contradict you with their bleeding and their lowing? Sometimes our dishonesty, 
about who we've placed in control of our lives is so blatant and so ridiculous that even animals could take part in calling us out. I like to imagine that's what they look like. Verse 15, And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And interesting, at this point, God is Samuel's God, not Saul's. Excuses and deflection. They did it, Samuel, and they did it for good. We did what God wanted, we just improved upon it. We did what we know God meant. Have you ever done this? I think we all have at some point, at least on some level. But are we able to admit it and learn from it? Remember this, half obedience is disobedience. And God says what he means and he means what he says. If we add to it or take from it, regardless of what we tell ourselves our intent is, we've taken control and we are engaged not in partial obedience, but complete disobedience. So how did Samuel reply? Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. Don't miss this, as it is the most important message in the whole passage. Samuel told Saul that when he was humble and accepted God as the controller of his life, he was made king. But when he took that control for himself, when his humility wilted and died, he lost his crown. <clears throat> Verse 18, And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. You see what God is concerned with here? God was concerned with Saul's true motives in taking control. Saul was focused on the flesh. It says he flew upon the spoils. He didn't just go gather them up. No, he rushed toward them. He made a mad dash for what his flesh wanted, and it was evil in the sight of the Lord. Do you desire control of your life? Rather than submitting to God's control of your life? If so then let's not lie to ourselves about what we're doing. That's evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Saul just does not want to get it, does he? He's in denial. Some people interpret this as Saul trying to convince Samuel at this point. I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he's trying to convince himself. If you ever come face to face with a great wrong that you did, and you get that feeling of dread in the pit of your stomach, and when you begin to see the waters of judgment rushing toward you and the waters coming over your head, when you begin to understand your actions come with a price, a price you must pay, you suddenly become desperate to lie to yourself. You have a desperate need to convince yourself you aren't wrong. 
You didn't mean it. It was someone else's fault. And the worst part is you're doing this in those precious few moments when you could be repenting, when you could be confessing, where you could be reaching for a lifeline that God may be extending to you, but instead you flail about in those waters until you drown in them. What a tragedy. Verse 22, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. It can be hard for us to accept the level of control in our lives God wants. Absolute control. Absolute. We want God to essentially say, you know, you took control, but I see you did some good things with it. I mean, you weren't all bad, so I'll tell you what, I'm going to disregard how you usurped authority from the almighty creator God of the universe. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in those moments when we're listening for those words from God, we need to understand that they are never going to be said. Never. God will not. God cannot do that because then He would be unjust. He would be a participant in our sin. And that is something God will not do. He will not ignore our sin and then listen to our pleas that we're a good person. Instead, he gives us Christ who was made sin and paid the price. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. There will come a time when even the most stubborn among us will reach this point. They will be faced with the undeniable fact that they failed. They were not up to the task. They took control and they crashed the car. But there comes a point when it is too late for that. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee. For thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Man will give an account. You and I will give an account. There is a price to pay for denying God control in our lives. Saul's disobedience cost him his crown. Is there anything worth you losing your crown? Verse 29, And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. For he is not a man that he should repent. Understand that God is not, nor ever will be, the one who is wrong and needs to repent. That's who the strength of Israel is here, God. He is not man, he is God. He will not be coerced to change his mind. Only mankind is called to repent. And if you're wrestling with control of your life with God, then it's you who has to let go and stop struggling. Not God. You don't want God to let go. Is there anything God's told you to do that you've been half obeying? 
Sometimes there's warfare. Just as obedience is important, it's important to understand what's going to happen when we obey. Because most of us here will say, I want to obey. But then things may trip us up. We may try to wrestle that control back. Why is that? Warfare. 1 Peter 5 verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. How often do we try to seize control because we're disturbed by the conflict that is created in following him? God never asked us to apologize for him, did he? He asked us to submit. Because our very lives are at stake. If we're not strong with Christ, the battle of life will take us off guard. It'll knock us off our feet. But we don't fear warfare and conflict because Psalms 37, 23 through 24 The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hands. A blessed hope. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid to let go of control. Sometimes a journey is going to have an injury or a fall. fall. We were never promised that we were going to float life's river and not flip over from time to time. Rather, the Lord will always be there to lift us up. That is what we must focus on. He'll help us get our head above water again. Sometimes we think we need to make adjustments to God's directions for us in order to prevent a fall. And we end up giving ourselves a false sense of security. Sometimes we even try to hold a fall against God. And we use that to justify why we're not submitting to His leading. In our lives, we're wrong to do that. That's rebellion to the only true authority in the universe. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. The key thing to notice in this verse is not the fact that someone can fall. It's found in the four words, let him that thinketh. The interesting thing is, is we often get ourselves into trouble when we think about how we can prevent trouble in the first place, right? We almost always think ourselves outside of God's will because we're seeking peace of mind, right? But that is exactly opposite of how peace is found. Peace comes by seeking and obeying the will of God in our lives, even when we don't understand or even agree with it. We have to submit to the control, the superior judgments of God in order to find peace. Philippians 4, 7. And then, the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Don't miss this. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says we can think ourselves into trouble. Philippians 4, verse 7 says we can find peace and security when we subjugate our mortal minds to the transcendent thoughts of God above. We simply have to release control and trust in our God. Excuse me. And don't compare yourselves to others. Jesus used an opportunity with Peter and John to provide a lesson when Peter questioned God's path for him because he was so busy looking at God's different path for John. It's found in John 21, verse 21. Peter, seeing him, speaking of John, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow me. Peter had just been told that he would have to die for Christ. 
while John would live. And maybe you can relate to Peter asking essentially, Lord, you're asking an awful lot. And your path for me seems harder than what you're giving to John. What about him? How will he have to suffer since so much is being asked of me? Peter was questioning, maybe even challenging, being obedient to Christ because he was more concerned that John seemed to be getting off easier than him than he was with simply submitting to Christ's plan for his life. Any good leader knows that you can never lead multiple people in the same way. Everyone requires a unique and adjusted approach based on multiple factors that are specific to them. As a rule of thumb, when I'm working with the young men and women trying to join the Air Force, I tend to brag on the person who scores low but tried hard in physical or academic tests. At the same time, I will downplay the achievements of somebody who is physically or academically superior, who doesn't have to work as hard to achieve the same task as another. I do this because on the one hand, I'm managing confidence. On the other hand, I'm managing pride. Different strokes for different folks. And I'll tell you, they don't always like it. With that comparison in mind, remember that focusing on what God is doing with others at the expense of accepting what he's doing with you, inevitably leads to missed blessings. Is having the perception of self-control really worth giving up the blessings God ultimately has for you in this life and the next? Is it worth it? Is your wisdom truly greater than his? Do you trust yourself more than God? If the answer is no, then why wouldn't you simply obey Embrace the life God has for you. Secure it by following Him. When you follow the Lord, events won't happen any sooner or any later than they're supposed to. God's always right on time. God knows what you need, when you need it, how to get you to it, and how to ensure you can keep it once you have it. Trust in God's superiority, goodness, justness, wisdom, and obey his calls in your life. Don't doubt God's ability to take care of you. We've been talking about trust with the lack thereof. When trust is absent, something else takes its place. Anxiety and worry. In the face of overwhelming odds, David oftentimes turned his anxiety over to God. Psalms 46 verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen, I will be exalted in the earth. God will take care of you, but he will always do it in a way that brings himself glory. First and foremost. Sometimes this causes us anxiety, understandably so. This anxiety stems from the very real fact that we doubt God's ability to take care of us. Let's be honest with ourselves for a minute. Let's not sit here and pretend that we never have a moment of doubt. Because if you can't admit Where the problems are sometimes, you can never face them to correct them. God never says that anxiety will not come. He simply tells us how to react when it comes. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. God is saying to us, you may not understand, but I do. And I have good things in mind for you. Do you believe that? 
If you say yes and you still find yourself filled with anxiety, then ask God to soften your heart. Ask Him to release control, or for, ask Him to help you release control to Him, to give you peace. Pray. Dig into His Word. Get on your knees in prayer. And don't stop until you have broken your will on the altar of His mercy. Don't you set your will aside. That may only be temporary. You break it on the altar of His mercy. And you won't regret it. Failure to do that, though, will lead you to a crisis of faith eventually. Because that anxiety and worry and disappointment and helplessness you feel when you realize you can't steer the car in the direction you want will overwhelm you. And it doesn't have to. You know, I believe one of our greatest hindrances in giving control to God is our inability to be honest about what we sometimes feel toward Him. If we're honest with ourselves, we will admit that we don't always believe what God is doing is in our best interest, do we? He tells us to wait, and we wonder if He's up to the task. He tells us no, and we wonder if He loves us. He tells us not like that, and we wonder if His way is really the best way. We speak, He doesn't jump, and we wonder if He hears us. So we tell ourselves that we'd better take precautions. Just in case God isn't paying attention, we need to lay our own backup plan. He disciplines us, and we retreat in bitterness. We ask God for something over and over, and He doesn't give us what we're expecting. So we question, is God really good? Is God even real? Is your vision of God hindering your trust in Him? If it is, let go. God knows what you need and when you need it. Trust that He will take care of you. Trust that He is taking care of you. It's not a future tense. People say, I know God will. I know God will. No, I know God is taking care of me. Taking care of you. Taking care of us. It's a matter of perspective. He is able. And rid yourself of the presumption that you can second guess God. In Numbers chapter 14, Moses was acting as the representative of God. And he told the children of Israel that they were not to do something that they wanted to do. Namely, they wanted to go against an opposing army after God said that he would not go with them. And this isn't the answer they wanted. And I want to examine what they did in Numbers 14, 39 through 45. There's a formula here that is true every single time we go against God's leading in our lives. First, the people mourned greatly in verse 39. They didn't like what God had to say. Second, they rationalized God couldn't have meant what He said. After all, God surely meant for them to have what they wanted, right? How could it be otherwise, they reasoned. How many times have we said this or probably heard someone else say this? The reasoning goes, I must be allowed to do this despite what the Bible may say because surely God wants me to be happy and I can only be happy if I have this. Third, God warned them to listen to Him, not themselves. In verses 41 through 43, the Lord will not be with you, Moses warned. You'll end up getting yourselves killed, Moses warned. Another critical point can be made here. God does not always speak to you directly. Oftentimes, He uses other people in our lives to communicate His message to us. And I have seen tragically over and over 
how people end up refusing to listen to God because they refuse to hear from his messengers. How often have you heard, I don't want to talk about it. That's between me and God, and only I can interpret God in my life, and their life is a train wreck. And yet that ignores the pattern that God laid out in Scripture. God has always provided leaders, judges, the church, even angels to express His direction for our lives. We were told as a church that we are to edify, exhort, admonish one another. What do you think that is? If not interpreting God's will in your life. We need one another. And we have to be willing to listen to one another. Hebrews 3, 12-13 Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Listen to one another. God will speak to you through someone who has their life connected to Him. I can guarantee you that. We have to take heed for one another. That word exhort... That means to strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. Of course, that requires that we release control and we open ourselves to the wisdom God has given to others. That's part of releasing control in our lives. We have to be humble for that. Together we are strong. Isolated, we're vulnerable. Now fourth, in Numbers, they presumed to second-guess God in verse 44. And all the while, they tried to use God as an unwilling proponent and supporter of their actions. Now, this is really dangerous. When you charge forward saying, God told me to do this when he didn't, they seemed to think that since God was affiliated with them, that they could force him to follow their lead. But Moses and God, represented by the ark here, did not go with them. And fifth, they realized too late that God wasn't with them and they died as a result. Look where presuming to second guess God got them. Understand where it will get you and me. It will get us into the, into the thick of the battlefield, death and danger on all sides, and an empty ark. You don't want to be in that battlefield. Don't presume you know better than God. God sees the bigger picture. As Brother Dane said a couple of sermons ago, God is looking at the long term. He sees the purpose for every little detail in your life. When you start assuming, presuming, and overthinking those details, turn your focus to the promises of God instead. It's the only way to escape that vicious cycle. Because God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts, Isaiah 55, 8-9. Romans 8, 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. If only we could believe this from the core of our being. All things work together for good to them that love God and who are called according to His purpose. Have bad things happened in your past? Are hard things happening in your present? Are scary things on the horizon? Then love God. Seek His glory and purpose. Let go. Cede control to Him. Don't overthink. Don't overanalyze. And don't be anxious. Philippians 4, 6-7 Don't worry about anything. Instead, 
Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And don't lose sight of God if you mean to follow Him. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This isn't just talking about other people's hearts. It's talking about our hearts as well. One of the greatest myths out there is that we should follow our hearts and you know, let your conscience be your guide. What's his name? Jiminy Cricket, the Disney character. While the intent behind those words may be good, the reality is we cannot trust our hearts. While we may innately know the difference between good and evil, we cannot trust ourselves to choose correctly between them. Get that in your head. That is why we need Jesus. We cannot submit to someone when we do not know where they are, what they're doing, what they expect, or even how to communicate with them. You have to read your Bible and pray. Let me say that again. Young people, old people, whatever I am, read your Bible and pray or you will lose all direction in this life. If you're too busy to do this, you're going to miss when the hand of the Lord is upon your life. If you want direction, you have to at least be aware when He puts His hand on your shoulder and says something. Uh-oh. Well. There we go. More technical malfunctions. Now, I want you to hear this. It's unfortunate that happened right then because I was on a roll. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 22. And the hand, this is Ezekiel talking, and he says, And the hand of the Lord was there upon me. And he said unto me, Arise, go forth into the plain, and there, and I will there talk with thee. But the best part's in verse 23. Then I, Ezekiel, arose and went forth into the plain. Notice he obeyed. He was listening. He obeyed. He went where he was told. And behold, the glory of the Lord stood there as the glory which I saw by the river of Chebar, and I fell on my face. When we release control, seek God, hear God, submit to God, He will show us His glory. He will show us in His time, in His place, in His way. We will be so awed by what He does that we will fall on our face in worship, adoration, and righteous fear. Because then we're going to see God is good. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is omnipresent. Give God control. And He will amaze you. So he'll surprise you, he'll thrill you, awe you, inspire you, protect you, love you, fulfill you. When you experience God in this way, it's going to free you to enjoy life. Psalms 37 verse 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now this verse is very often misused, as is the one in the New Testament. 
When it speaks of the desires of your heart, of getting anything you may ask for, it does not mean that God gives you anything you ever want. What it means is that God knows the need behind the need that you and I have. What is the need behind the need? Let me give you an example. If you say to me, I need to go to college, then I'll say to you, I'll ask you why. And you then say, well, I need to go to college because I want a good job. And I'll ask you, why do you want a good job? And you'll then say, well, so I can make good money and be happy and comfortable. And at that point, I'm going to ask, well, if you could get that great job that paid well and led to a happy and comfortable life without going to college, investing all that time and money, would you still want to go to college? Some people will lie to me and say yes. Most people have an epiphany at that point. What they need and what they want are two different things. You see, this person feels they need college because they want the job and the money. Do you see the difference? If you take away the benefit that they believe college provides, if they can get the same thing, then all of a sudden, you know, they cut college out. So we look at this life and we think, I need God because I want this or that. And God's saying, no, what you need is me. And the reason you don't want me is because your desires are set on the wrong things. You are controlling things. When people pray, God, give me a new Cadillac. And then they wonder why they don't get it. What God is essentially saying is, I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. And we don't really know what we want, do we? Can you say, maybe in this room we can, but can you say truly what the desire of your heart is? Most people will look at you and they don't know. They don't know. We think it's one thing when it's something else entirely. There is a need behind the need. When we're told that God will give us the desires of our heart, doesn't necessarily mean He's going to grant us a scholarship and give us the mind to excel in college, right? But He will give us what we truly need. Fellowship with Him. Joy. Hope. Purpose. Gratefulness. Satisfaction. Life. The fact is, the true desire of all our hearts is to be reunited with God in relationship as we were in the Garden of Eden before sin separated us. There's a great big empty hole in your heart and you can toss any amount of garbage this world wants to give you into it and it will never be full. It will never fit. It's that old square peg in a round hole thing. The only way to stop trying to do that to yourself is to submit control to God. And that is why he says, delight yourself first in the Lord, and then you will find that I will give you everything at your deepest heart desire level. You will not experience dissatisfaction when you give yourself to the Lord, when you give control to Him. Now understand something. <clears throat> Satan spends his days trying to distract you, as we were told this morning during the song service trying to entice you so that you never really notice what your heart truly desires. And even if you do notice it, you'll turn your nose up at it and think you don't want it. You'll think it's not as good as something else. This is a real danger. But remember this, just because we can be distracted doesn't change the truth that our core heart's desire is still to be reunited in complete fellowship with God. You can ignore it, but it won't go away. 
God knows this. He made us this way, and He knows how to get us there. He knows the true desire of our heart, even if we don't always. So you can trust Him and let go of control of your life. Give it to Him. Proverbs 16, verse 20. And whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. Nehemiah 8.10 For the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're ready to give control of your life to God, there is no better time to do that than today, right now, in this moment. Whether that means you need to come forward, repent of your sins, confess Christ, be baptized, or whether it means you need the encouragement and prayers of the church, it's not too late to give control to God. It never is. And that's the message we need to take outside of this building to people who are hurting, whose life's a mess. And we need to let them know what a joy it is to give control up to somebody else. God, Christ in your life. So if there be anyone of either case seeking either baptism or the prayers of the church, we invite you to come forward and uh, make your wishes known as we stand and sing the invitation song. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.